Brr, it's cold out there. For some, this time of year brings the sun temps, but for others, it brings the numb tips. To crack the code on cold weather climbing, we turn to our dear friend, science. We looked at everything from the physiology of cold weather climbing to gender differences and responses to cold. This episode is icing out the mystery. Bundle up. You're listening to the Average Climber Podcast. Caitlin, do you want to tell everyone what movie I was begging everyone to watch this week? (laughs) Yes. Lauren was desperate to watch Jurassic Park fueled by pad thai but not also not just any jurassic park the newest one jurassic world dominion yeah i love the jurassic park movies so much i don't know what it is they're so fun and i know that like people are like this is quote a bad movie this is quote not critically acclaimed (laughs) but i think they're fun i feel like they're also like if we talk about like I'm going to say scary with like some finger quotes because it's obviously not like Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. But I feel like this is more plausible and that's what freaks me out hardcore. Right. Like (laughs) monster movies, I don't usually like love them, but I feel like the element of these big ass dinosaurs did used to exist is makes Mm -hmm. them just that much more suspicious also the monsanto energy in the latest jurassic world was kind of like yeah we also realized that the ceo of like the biasin basically the villain of the movie looks like the ceo of apple and dyson yeah it's like a weird white old white white haired men that's like that's is that what it takes to be a ceo because i hate that is that what they're making fun of i think it's gotta be yeah yeah because there's lots of issues well and he also was wearing like the exact same sweater the whole time and he had those those really bizarre like mannerisms too where you're like this guy's brain is doing backflips yeah it was in any case i'm excited so today's fun fact comes from both jurassic world dominion and also the book that i got my nephew for christmas titled (laughs) good night dinosaurs and i'm so glad he liked it because i really need my little boy nephews to want to go to the dinosaur museum with me because because i love it so caitlin in jurassic world dominion we saw what you described as an edward scissor hands dinosaur <laughs> um which was yes. my impression of it too so this is a therazinosaurus and Jesus. it it really kind of looks like if you turned a sloth into like a horror movie monster. <laughs> yeah. Because it's got like three big claws. And some feathers. It's all kinds of yikes. Yep. It's wild. But anyways, I wanted to share a fun fact about Therizinosaurus because in the book Goodnight Dinosaur, it mentions goodnight. It says, pretty sure it says something like this. Goodnight, Therizinosaur. The smartest of all the dinosaurs. And I was like, Aka, excuse me. This is the smart one. <laughs> like this is... This is the one that's smart. Really. This how, one. How do you know? <laughs> so I dug deeper into this and it sounds like its brain cavity suggests that it has some of the best senses of all the dinosaurs what? in terms of smell and also balance. How did... 
I just don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a brain person, so I don't know, like, is it the shape? Is it the size? Yeah. Interesting. If any of you listeners are dinosaur experts, I really just want to talk to you. So please, if you happen to be a paleontologist rock climber, please enlighten us. Or I don't even, I'm pretty sure paleontologists study, but if, whatever. They probably study, you probably study a lot of things. But if you're a dinosaur expert, credentialed, please reach out. <laughs> we want to talk to you. I want to do a bonus episode that is unrelated to rock climbing where I get to ask you any dinosaur questions that I want to because this is yes, full one, of, one of my dreams. So please please send us an email. Send e- send me an email, goodspreadclimbing at gmail.com. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. If they are dinosaur experts. <laughs> yeah. Because, because we want to we dig into this. I want to know how a big, scary, like... Big Bird, Edward Scissorhands, T-Rex combo can be the smartest yeah. dinosaur. And once again, I tr- I tried to get someone to go with me last year and no one would. Um, I do want to go to Dino Fest in Salt Lake I'll at the Natural that. History Museum. I love It's usually around my museums. birthday, so it's extra insulting that no one would go with me. That is rude. It's rude. Mike was like, I'm not going. I'm like, I just want to go listen to dinosaur lectures. I think I was like two weeks. I was there two weeks before that, yeah, which was you really disappointing. You would have gone and listened. I would have. It would have been great. Well, anyways, hello, everyone. This is not a dinosaur <laughs> podcast. Unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but hello, welcome. You're listening to the Average Climber Podcast. I'm Lauren. I'm a certified personal trainer and climbing coach, and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Caitlin. I'm Caitlin, and I am a certified nutrition specialist, and together... We make up a pretty good team, I think. We sure, we <laughs> sure do. Um, okay, tangential, one more fun fact to transition us into what we're talking about today. Great. So in Jurassic World Dominion, there's all these dinosaurs running around in the snow. And I was like, dinosaurs didn't run around in the snow. That's ridiculous. And with a quick Google, because I was Googling the whole movie because I wanted to learn. She was. I <laughs> Caitlin watched. I can attest. Yeah. But dinosaurs definitely did exist in snowy climates, which I thought was fascinating. And you know who else exists in snowy climates? Rock climbers <laughs> trying to climb rocks. Some of us like it more than others. Yes. <laughs> So one of you asked, I think quite a few of you have asked for this episode. So we are doing a deep dive into cold weather climbing and we'll probably touch on training in the cold too. Um, and I also want to plug next, next week, we're coming out with a snack break with all of your tips and tricks for handling climbing in the cold. So this will be the, the sciencey wise that you probably want to know when it comes mm-hmm. to climbing in the cold and how to manage that, especially nutritionally. And then we'll transition into some fun tips and tricks. Absolutely. Yeah. But before we get into the the meats of our episode, we are going to read our testimonial of the week. And this is from one of Caitlin's nutrition clients, Sneha, and she was an athlete in 2022. So Sneha notes, I wanted to let you know that I got blood work recently, and in the year we've worked together, my LDL cholesterol dropped by almost 30 points. Ironically, at the same time, I both gained weight and went up a dress size, I realized recently. But I also got hella stronger, (laughs) proving that a balanced diet works and maybe weight obsession is pointless. Hot damn. Sneha dropping dropping bombs, dropping bangers. Yeah, she really is. Oh man, that's such a sweet... Yep. Sweet wow. testimonial. Big truth bombs in there. That's yeah. wild. Okay. I feel like just want to point this out. This is 
unrelated to today's episode, but just to reiterate, LDL, LDL cholesterol decreased and while she was putting on weight. So she became healthier with weight gain. Yep. And got hella strong. You heard it here. Hella stronger. So there, there you, you have, have it. it. End of episode. Goodbye. End of episode. <laughs> mic drop. Excellent. Okay. All right. Now let's get into cold weather climbing. Burr. Put your sweaters on. People. <laughs> okay. So Caitlin, first thing we want to talk about is what's actually happening to our bodies when we're out in the cold so i know we're kind of you know we can go out in the cold and be like i'm cold and i hate everything and i don't (laughs) want to move a lot and it's hard but what physiologically is happening when we are out in the cold for extended periods of time yeah there's there's actually a lot of things going on that i think maybe we're aware of and we know it just it's in there somewhere and i think we try to brush it off because we don't want to seem soft or I'm very soft yeah that's Team how, soft that's if you're soft <laughs> just tell people that's okay it's and okay if, I'm if soft they're rude about it they don't understand the science you can be like hey dumb person you should listen to this episode yeah I can't help that I'm soft it's science it's science. <laughs> scientifically I am soft for these reasons anyway <laughs> so when we're exercising in the cold, I want to go through just a few things that are happening physiologically and physically because, you know, it happens at the cellular level, impacts us in our whole bodies naturally. So the first thing I want to start off with is resting metabolic rate. And why the reason I want to bring this up is because sometimes your RMR is interchangeably used with your BMR or your basal metabolic rate. Uh, But these are actually a little bit different. So your BMR is the minimum number of calories required for basic functions at rest. But RMR is uh, also called your resting energy expenditure. So this is the number of calories that your body burns while at it's at rest as well. Um, so they're, they're a little bit different. Um, but what's important to note here is that your RMR increases about three to 7% in cold mm. temps. So Lauren, just based on hearing that, what do you think my, my, uh, little bit of information here is going to be. So it's going to be where Caitlin tells us to eat more again. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> okay. On on that, I'm looking at I'm looking at your notes you got here. So I know that we should eat more in the cold. That makes sense. And I also know that being cold I've I've heard of the I remember like wrestlers on my high school team would talk about how they would like sleep with their windows open and like not have blankets on and like shiver and shit. I don't know. So that was like a thing I heard passed around the old high school locker bays. So I, I, I already, I think all of us already know like being cold, you know, heating ourselves requires energy and Mm -hmm. that's a whole thing. What I want to is, does being cold impact our appetites at all? Because I also find that when I'm cold, I just want to, curl up into a ball and like not do anything like I'm unmotivated to do anything when I'm super cold yeah totally I think it depends right like some people might feel more hungry in the cold some Mm -hmm. people might actually feel less hungry but I think 
what's most important here is to note that if you are just cold overall, you are going to be burning more calories Mm -hmm. because your body, like you said, Lauren, is trying to heat itself. But that also means even when you're not exercising, when you are at rest, you are burning more calories too. So it's not to say that there's like this, you know, direct correlation once you start exercising. It's, you know, you're still... You like you get warmer, so maybe you mm-hmm. don't need to eat more. No, you should still eat more. Yeah, because the whole time the base level, you have to expend more energy too to just stay, stay warm. warm. Also to warm up for your exercise too. And what's also interesting is that your heart actually has to work harder. So when we are pushing past our max, uh, you know, this is particularly dangerous if you're someone with an underlying condition or disease such as high blood pressure, maybe diabetes, high cholesterol. And um, this is just because your body is being asked to do more work to heat itself and keep your organs warm as Mm. well. And what's also important to note here too is that your muscle contractions, your isometric muscle contractions, so to speak, um, also increase your heart rate. So at this base level, if your calorie needs are increased, if you start pushing your max and you're also performing these muscle contractions, this means you're burning more energy because you're cold, you're burning more energy because your body is being asked to work harder, and you're also exercising. So it is super critical and important to make sure that you're consuming enough when you're outside, not just because you know, we don't want to come home and feel really stiff and cold from shivering all day, but we also just need to make sure that we're supporting our bodies at that really basic fundamental level. Interesting. Do you know, and totally fine if this is me just harping on a small detail, do you know why they called out isometric muscle contractions over concentric or eccentric? I will also briefly explain what those mean to everyone. Yeah. um, So in this study specifically, I have it linked here and we can put it in the show notes. I think they looked at isometric because this was done in a lab oh okay so So this is more just about it's not like concentric and eccentric are just not impacted okay right but why don't you go ahead and explain (laughs) it just for context if people are like the fuck is iso eco yeah 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 so okay i'm gonna explain this with a a (laughs) pull-up so okay so actually no i don't know if i want to explain it with a pull-up what's easier easier to visualize okay um No, I'm going to go squat. I don't know why I'm being so weird about this. (laughs) Okay, so in a squat, when you are on your way down, that is the eccentric. Mm. And then when you're holding that position. So let's say you are like at the bottom of your squat and you like hold that position, but you're, so you're not moving, but your muscles are still tensing, right? That is an isometric that's the isometric of it. So if you like did a pause squat and like held a part of the squat position for a little bit, that would be the isometric. And then as you push back up, that's the concentric movement. <sighs> Definitions. <laughs> so. yeah, I think that's where like some <laughs> some studies kind of get lost in translation. Everyone's too. like, oh, there's all these fucking words. <laughs> and then I need an index. Um yeah, I think it's just mostly because this was easier to study in a lab setting where they yeah. can control you the, know, yep. what people are doing. Um, but also, I 
you know, I guess you could speak to this more and more, but like if you're pushing your max and like, let's say you are holding that bottom of the squat position, it's like a, a quite a bit of load, even though you're not like popping or, you know. Right. Like holding a position takes energy and yeah. effort, right? That's why isometric training is mm-hmm. effective, even though you're not necessarily moving, right? Well, I, the last thing I want to say to you about just um, related to your energy output and your heart working faster. So there was a study, two studies actually, spearheaded by Watts. And these were in 2000 and 2004. And also what they found too is that these um, measured values of, usually these are factors related to performance or uh, work capacity and ability to sort of push your max, um, but VO2 values and lactate concentrations were sustained at a high level for up to 30 minutes after exercise concluded in the cold. So wow. basically all this just means that you are burning more calories to keep your body warm and you're also using up energy faster because of your body needing that additional input. And so this is where we often talk about, you know, carbs because carbs are really, really helpful Ooh. at this time point. Your body okay. is using these a lot faster because your heart actually, carbs are what power your heart. So mm. we want to make sure we are getting not only enough calories, but we're also consuming carbs consistently. And this is also, I think, worth noting that even if you have enough layers on, like even if you're not shivering, you're still in the cold. You're still performing in the cold and your body has to keep your muscles yeah. warmer for longer, and which is a bit more challenging. Yeah. Like if you feel warm and normal, it's probably because your body is doing doing a lot of work to make it that way (laughs) also another note that i think is interesting because i always see people like what is the sleeping bag rated or what temperature is this coat rated for (laughs) and like you know everyone's like i want a temperature i want a temperature but it's the reason they don't necessarily like to give you a straight up temperature like maybe they'll give you a range but you know you wearing a big ass coat after you haven't eaten for 12 hours is going to feel very different than you wearing a big ass coat if you're like constantly fueling right like that's Mm going to be two very different experiences which I think yeah people maybe don't consider Caitlin is there a reason you say because I feel like whenever I think of people being really cold I always think of like high fat like you know how they always talk about Mm -hmm. how native peoples like way back in the day who lived high up in you know arctic regions were eating seal blubber and shit right (laughs) like they're like relying on animal fat a lot Mm -hmm. do you is there like a common like i mean it seems like both are probably pretty important but how would you time consumption of both fat and carbs and would you prioritize one over the other it sounds like you might prioritize carbs or yeah like how would you go about that in terms of those two macros for cold weather calorie consumption yeah I think this would depend on the like workload that you're performing you know like Mm. think about your intensity and the volume as well so yes like body fat well okay I'll back up including fat in your diet and making sure that you have this vital nutrient to keep your body warm 
because body fat is a huge, huge component of how our bodies stay warm, especially our internal organs. It provides provides that nice little blankie of Mm. warmth around there. Yes. So we want to make sure that we, of course, have fat in our diet. That's if you're listening to this podcast for not the first time, you've heard me say this many times. Yeah. But um, specifically, if you are working out and you are pushing past your max, and even if you're consistently just outside for long durations, I would say you still want to prioritize carbs because mm-hmm. you are burning energy. And this is the same same story that I suggest for really any activity, increasing carbs around your the time that you are actually doing work. So this might look like, you know, your meal first thing in the day before you even head out. This might look like a midday meal or a bunch of snacks. And then of course your end of day meal, but you also want to keep in mind that your calories spread throughout the day with consistent snacking should be a combination of primarily carbs, but also you could include some fats in there depending on the energy intensity at which you're performing because right fats Mm -hmm. do take longer to break down for energy so sometimes people will have kind of an upset stomach if if they are performing at too high or well very high intensity levels we don't want to be necessarily fueling with fats unless our body is adapted to break down fats for energy which is kind of a different story okay so i'm going to give you two different activities that you might be doing so let's say you're doing i'm gonna give you like three actually (laughs) okay let's say you're doing a long sport climb where you climb pretty hard for 15 minutes and then rest for an hour what would you would you categorize that as high intensity or would you categorize that as some yeah how would you how would you categorize that in terms of what you're doing say that's still despite it being you know short and sweet I would still categorize that as like a moderately high intensity okay and in that instance too I would say like let's say for example someone who is climbing in the red for you know like maybe it's a 15 minute route and it's pretty hard pretty hard Okay. Yeah. <laughs> hard for you. Okay. Red pointing um, hard in a cold, you know, yes. it's Thanksgiving week, you're cold and you're red pointing and it's hard. Okay. Yeah. So like if I was going to give the example of like comparing it to, let's say it's a 50 degree day versus a 35 degree day. Yeah. And that's what we call no thank you. No thanks. <laughs> no, big, no thank you. Big, <laughs> so <nope. laughs> at least for me, that's, <laughs> I draw a line somewhere. Yeah. So. Same, same. <laughs> I think it's just, it's important to note though, that having colder temperatures is going to increase your energy output, even if you're performing the same actions. Ah, okay. So that's what I mean by just, um, you know, the intensity, even if that doesn't necessarily change, you are going to be keeping your body warm at the same time as you're doing the exact same movements and the same output level. But because it's cooler, you are technically using energy stores more rapidly. Okay. 
So to contrast this, so let's say with climbing, whether it's like hard bouldering efforts, hard sport climbing efforts, where you like try pretty hard and then rest, you would classify those as like, yeah, you're going to need carbs. You can probably deprioritize fats a little bit. And Mm -hmm. okay. Flip side, let's say you're me and you're going (laughs) on a five hour, but moderate ski tour where you're just keeping up like a moderate intensity for a sustained period of time in that case would you include more fats i think fats are important to include throughout the day in any scenario okay but i don't necessarily think that you need to increase them if that makes okay. sense so like whether you're like let's say you were let me think of a good example. Like a really, let's do a comparable like longer hike. Long hike. All Long, day. relatively easy hike. Right. So most people are well adapted at using fat for energy, mm-hmm. but a lot of us are utilizing carbs primarily. So yep. it just, it's called metabolic flexibility and how well your body uses fats and carbs for energy kind of depends on what you've trained level of training you're generally speaking athletes at a higher level aerobically will be more fat adapted correct yep so that's one thing where if you ever are training for to be an endurance i say endurance person like i don't do endurance shit but like <laughs> i just don't i, I identify as as someone that lift weights that is like well i do want to go on cool ski tours so i guess i gotta do so that but But the important thing to note here is that even if you are, you know, quote, fat adapted, this doesn't mean that you like have a brick of cheese and poof, now you have energy because (laughs) fat still, that's how I work. That's what I think in my mind. (laughs) But, (laughs) but it is important to note that because fat does take longer than carbs to be broken down. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about your body using fat for energy, it's pulling that from your body. So that's, you know, another important thing to note is just that if you are a person who does work out very consistently um, at that aerobic level and you are well fat adapted, you know, I don't know. There's probably a good study out there about how that impacts performance at uh, at cooler temperatures and... I actually do have a study here that oh yeah let's bring up the study also i just want to shout out if you're very interested in the cold weather high altitude aerobic endurance type athlete two great books gosh i'm like blanking it's it's new alpinism it's the training for the uphill athlete books essentially Mm -hmm. there's one that's for targeted at like mountaineering and climbers and one that's targeted more at like runners and ski touring but Mm -hmm. if you look up training for the uphill athlete or just the uphill athlete you'll find both of those books and they're awesome so gotta shout out those books for sure Caitlin, share with us this study. No, more resources are really important and helpful too, because I think, I don't know about you, Lauren, but if I see like Alpine in a title, I'm like, that's not me. But realistically, we just climbed in the freaking snow the other day. So Yeah, you climbed. (laughs) I said, no, thank you. And I hid under a fucking blanket. I have a line. And I was also like, it was honestly my nightmare. (laughs) Um, we didn't know there was going to be snow so I'm walking up in not at all waterproof shoes so my socks and my feet are fucking freezing and I'm like the last thing I want to do is put on climbing shoes right now because I'm already pissed that my clothes are wet 
and then it was super windy way windier than we thought and I yeah. just laid on the pads with a blanket over me until everyone else was like agreed with me that it was terrible and then we left absolutely <laughs> yeah it's one of those days that we were like huh we know better. <laughs> I'm like, I should be in the gym right now. Like, that's the answer to this. Yes. Also, the first thing we put up was this very heinous slab. And I was like, I cannot be bothered. Yeah, that's a pretty terrible, like, credit card crimp slab. It really is. And I was, everyone's like, just trust the feet. And I'm like, I can't trust them if I can't even feel my toes. <laughs> so, yeah, I was, was real a, pissed. It was an interesting day. But it was. Let we, me talk about the study. <laughs> the study. The study. So the study is called the effects of environmental temperature on physiological responses during submaximal and maximal exercises in soccer players. So this was a 2016 study and what they did, this is a randomized crossover study. They looked at a small small sample size of 9 male varsity soccer players and they had them exercise in three conditions. So a cool condition was about 10 degrees Celsius. Mm. A moderate condition was about 22 degrees Celsius. And then hot is about 35 degrees Celsius. That's so, hot. Yeah. yeah, that's hot. <laughs> what is, just for all of our uh, primarily American listeners, <laughs> 35 degrees <laughs> seat it's hot as fuck i yeah, know that 30, that's 95 that's like, yeah that's I, was like, I think that's real in the 90s that's real toasty. what was remind me of the low end of it i'm just i got my little that's like sub sub zero what was the what was the celsius i'm just gonna convert 10 it. 10 okay yeah that's cold 10 oh okay 10 is 50 so we got a range of 50 degrees oh fahrenheit boy. to 95 oh boy yeah yes so yep. big range big old range so they had them perform cycling trials in exercise chambers. So this was not actually in the the weather exposed to the elements because they wanted to control for humidity, which was about 60% plus or minus 10. And they also performed these trials under a three-hour fast. So that means no food for hmm. the three hours that prior That seems like to. a good control to have in place. Right, yeah, right. So I will say real quick, depending on what their meal was at, you know, three hours prior that could have had an impact but i digress <laughs> <laughs> can't so, make these guys fast for too long they're sports <laughs> action people they need snacks they need so. the foods so i'm just gonna read what they found because i thought that this was a really cool just little little piece of information they found that aerobic exercise markers so remember vo2 your heart rate ventilation at the low temperature which was remember that about 10 degrees Celsius. Um, and also the high temperature, 35 degrees Celsius, these both showed that they reduced um, all of these aerobic exercise markers at rest, mm. submaximal exercise, and maximal exercise. So this was for all, all cases. These extremes on both the cold end and the high end showed uh, poor performance markers. So they also didn't stop there. They looked at anaerobic exercise markers, mm. um, par particularly blood lactate concentration. And this was also decreased at rest, submaximal exercise and maximal exercise at both of the extremes again. So in a nutshell, sounds like they performed better in this happy happy medium happy range medium. and what was this happy medium range 22 degrees celsius so okay. this just basically means that these extremes aren't great for performance so 
what this just tells Ooh, that's us. That's seventy one degrees. That is my um, perfect temperature. So I feel, like I feel very seems hot. You're a Boulder, Caitlin. What are you talking about? I mean, this is like ambient temperature. It doesn't oh. mean like I'm sitting in the sun baking and it's 70 True. degrees outside. True. No, I mean, I, I feel that. <laughs> I like, yeah, this makes sense. I think that's interesting. So obviously this is, you know, soccer players cycling, but they did <laughs> test both anaerobic and aerobic yeah, I just markers. I thought so this was interesting to look at because I think, you know, if you have people who are like, man, I really don't understand why, you know, the cold weather days, like why I just feel like this is not an option for me. Or alternatively, if you're someone who's like, I just can't climb in the heat, you know, it's important yeah. to make sure that you acknowledge that, you know, whatever your training in is important, but also there are going to be some limiting factors in terms of weather and how that impacts our performance. Yeah, that's really interesting too, because I think in climbing, we usually kind of turn externally, mm -hmm. especially because it's a sport that relies so heavily on friction. But I think it's interesting that there's also internal factors where it's like your body probably has temperatures that it's going to operate best right. in, regardless of whether or not you're dry firing or your hands are too sweaty or your hands right. are too whatever numb so I think that's yeah. really I think it does interesting. depend person to person but it is it is cool to see so I have a few other things I want to note here just some other quick little tidbits that I think would be helpful um so it's important remember we talked about needing to increase our calories yep and we're mostly focused on carbs after our little carb Correct. and fats discussion. So fat's still important, but probably no matter what, you're going to want to focus on carbs, as Caitlin yep. told us. Correct. And what I want to note here, too, because I think this is really easy for athletes, is trying not to drink your calories when it's cold. Interesting. This is because you don't need as much fluid in colder temperatures. Really? Yep. <laughs> Why? Uh, our body is just not using the fluids the same. I guess same. it's not for also, sweating. Exactly. It is also, well, hopefully you're not sweating. But yeah, you're get not, your layering shit together. Exactly. <laughs> you're sweating. It's cold so outside. you're not you're not losing your fluids to sweat, but also your body's just not using it in the same capacity. So the opposite is actually true if you're also at higher elevations and if it's windy. So those are the caveats. Okay. So it's like if you're sea level ish or you're not at a altitude whatever mm -hmm. then follow this you probably need less liquids i find yeah. that i definitely think if it's a hotter day of climbing i naturally i'm like i'm gonna bring all the water today and then when yep. it's cold i'm like i barely drink anything that's cool though i didn't realize that had any sort of legitimate merit other than <laughs> me just being unmotivated to drink water when it's nope, cold okay it's but then if you. but if you're at high altitudes yeah, you do want to drink. Okay. Yeah, you want to <laughs> drink more at higher altitudes, and then also if it's windy, even at lower altitudes, you still will want to drink more because your body evaporation. Yeah, know, the wind sweeping things. away the water, taking yeah. so much out of you because yep. it's terrible. But one other thing I'll mention about um, another point here. I hate this point you're about to bring. <laughs> I feel attacked. <laughs> <laughs> Alcohol before exercising in the cold is a bad idea stop attacking my parking lot beers <laughs> caitlin when i'm going skiing it's fun that way but i will say usually if we're lift beer drinking it's because 
we're ski we're taking it easy and because it's yeah, sad you're chilling well i think the idea <laughs> at least this is something i heard for so long like you're your lift beer is you know like people are like oh it's, it'll keep you warmer but n- false it lowers your core body temperature so what about lift liquor <laughs> lift hot toddies uh, oh, maybe. <laughs> why does whiskey feel warm then? <laughs> uh, because it's lighting your throat on fire yeah but... i don't never mind <laughs> well, <laughs> but it's this is to say it's generally not considered a great idea because it does lower your body temperature, your core temperature, which is also what helps you stay warm. I mean, the same thing would be true if you drank um, cold water. However, obviously, alcohol has a very different mechanism of action in the body. <laughs> but if you're exercising and you're staying generally warm, you know, it's not going to have that much of an effect but i generally don't recommend it wait until after or you know give yourself ample time between drinking and trying to crush it okay so if you're drinking lift beers or lift whiskey to stay warm that's not a good plan is what i'm hearing yep so lift cookies instead lift cookies (laughs) instead and then when you find you can have your tasty beers yeah I mean, i'm a big beer after skiing kind of gal so i get I think it you're not <laughs> alone in that at all yeah so so hopefully rock on that'll make sense you got to increase your calories because those needs go up especially from carbs and also just take note that you know if you are trying to push your limits at higher altitudes and um excuse me, at colder temperatures, also, I guess, higher altitudes. Yeah, usually they go hand in hand. Yeah, they do. (laughs) But if you're trying to push your max uh, upper limits, just keep in mind that you want to just check in with yourself because if you are really, really pushing it, you want to make sure that you're safe and that your body has what it needs to, you know, do the thing you're asking it to. So, yeah, I I think, yeah, just to... I think we could probably take a break after this, but just to close this out, these are really helpful tips because some days your Saturday, that is the one day a week you can go climbing outside. The weather is a lot colder. So if there's things that you can do to make the cold weather days more tolerable so that you actually can go get some climbing done and not be like me hiding under a blanket, (laughs) um, that's a really, you know, these are important tips to take because, you know, it's really easy to be like, I'm just not going to climb in the cold. But man, if you can figure out some ways to make climbing in the cold more doable so that you can go do it, yeah, that could be, you know, just a lot more days that you get to go rock climbing outside if that's something that's more limited to you then. Yeah. So just something to keep in mind. And I know plenty of us have gone on climbing trips where we're like, this is the one week we can go. And then you're like looking at the forecast and you're like, Jesus Christ, like, <laughs> this oh, is no. so cold. <laughs> when did I decide? Yeah. I actually feel like I've got my cold weather uh like tasks down. So I'm excited to dig into this more with you. Yeah, that's fun. Cool. Well, let's go ahead and take a little break. Little break. If you're a climber, you're basically a superhero. I mean, you're walking up walls. Your fingers can hoist your body up on tiny edges. You're getting upside down. You're swinging through the sky. And what do superheroes need most of all? Capes? No. A cool car? No. An exceptionally long and drawn-out storyline in which their likeness and brand is repurposed over and over again for the monetary gain of large corporations? Well... Okay, also no. 
What they really need is a theme song. But your theme song has to fit you, right? It has to make sense. So to help you find your theme song and learn a little bit about the way you personally train for climbing, I made you a quiz. So if you're ready to find your theme song, head on over to the show notes and take the quiz right now. Okay, Caitlin. Now that we're back, I want to bring up something that makes me personally the most mad. (laughs) I cannot wait to talk about this, but also hear exactly what you're going to (laughs) say. Okay, so I remember because my partners when I go skiing are primarily men. So that's just where we're at with my ski partners, which is fine. I love all my ski partners. Everyone is a fucking blast. We have we have a good time. But I notice that when I am like suffering immensely with cold hands, I'm like asking everyone, I'm like, are your hands freezing? My hands are so numb. And I have like, I have very intense gloves, guys. Like I have $200 leather Hestramins because this is a problem. They're this also bitch very is cute. cold. Yeah, because I have cold, little skinny, stupid fingers. And I remember being so frustrated because I felt like every time I'm asking my male counterparts, like, hey, are your hands fucking freezing? And everyone's like, no, I'm fine. And I'm like, I feel like I'm about to have to cut all my fingers off. <laughs> like it's they're going numb. The frostbitten. Yeah. And it made me so upset that I was like, I'm gonna start Google scholaring. So then I'm like just trying to find research papers to see if there's a reason for why this is. And to my delight, I was validated by science. And I I was like this was a couple years ago where I did this deep dive into this, but and I couldn't find the exact article, but it doesn't matter because there's been more research that has come out um since yeah, well, 20 since I started looking into this. So we have a couple of yeah. couple of things we want to discuss that were interesting. <laughs> Do you remember I think it was maybe it was pre-pandemic for sure. I remember the climbing community finally talking about really. Hands. I don't remember this at all. I just remember hearing it because I was like, "Ha!" Ah! I'm not, I'm not wrong. I'm valid. And it was just a a really eye-opening moment that made me feel pretty good about, you know, all the things that I had heard and like feeling dumb for complaining about cold hands. I was like, I'm, science is on my side. Yeah, finally. So. Finally. So shall we dig in? Ooh, okay. Which one do we want to start with? I think perception is important also because the study came out first okay so we have a so this is this is one we found that was really interesting where they studied so we kind of have like two pieces of this which is interesting that build because the first one also is some it's science but it sounds Caitlin and I were offended by the wording but I don't know if we're just being (laughs) being being overly sensitive with our silly little cold hands but (laughs) this is a 2015 study titled perception of cold hands comparison between women and men and essentially what they did and the sample size is pretty small so I will say that so we have nine women and 14 men total of 23 subjects and they controlled with they controlled for peripheral vascular disease I would imagine that means they're controlling for Raynaud's syndrome overall are there any other peripheral vascular diseases I'm not aware of well, remember we talked about um, like your heart has to work harder. So mm. if you are already predisposed with an existing condition, that would, of course, okay. change some so things. They, 
they made sure everyone's heart was honky honky dory <laughs> uh, to put it into technical terms <laughs> so okay so essentially what they did was they had everyone um walking uphill on a treadmill for 45 minutes in a climate controlled change chamber and they gave everyone hiking gloves in four different conditions um so essentially they just tested everyone with different levels of cold exposure to summarize it um, we will link to the study in the show notes if you really want to dig in and then the two things they looked at was the actual temperature of the subject's middle finger and then how cold the subject perceived the how how cold they felt essentially and they did this on a scale of negative four to zero and to summarize what they found was that at the same like at the same temperature generally of men versus women so it's like a man will have their temperature taken woman same temperature the woman will perceive it as a lot colder and what we didn't love about the article is that it was just like women have a lower tolerance to the cold which I guess is like objectively true and what they're studying but I'm like this makes this sound like like we're weak or something, but obviously something, they didn't necessarily explain what is going on or why women will perceive this ambient temperature as worse or less tolerable, but I did think it was interesting. I also don't think women's pain tolerance is lower because that's been studied and also childbirth happens, so I don't think it's not that we're not tough cookies, but I do think something interesting is going on. But interesting study nonetheless that you know, women exposed to the same temperatures and having the same ambient skin temperature will perceive it as less tolerable than men um, in a statistically significant way. Again, only nine women studied in this, so maybe we need a bigger sample size to really Mm -hmm. draw any conclusions, but I felt like my experience was validated (laughs) Um, in that I'm having a worse time in colder temperatures with the same exposure. So, What's also interesting here too, though, is they said that half of the men considered it unacceptable oh. too so for being honest those men <laughs> yes yeah I, I feel like it's it is interesting because we talk about perception and I don't know about you but if I'm cold outside I'm instantly in a worse mood I'm like I can't climb I suck like I can't pull anything and I don't know for me like those send temps that everyone else talks about I'm always like I, I need just, them to be 10 degrees higher yeah like I just <laughs> don't it doesn't click for me in the same way just because I feel like I'm so cold it mm-hmm. makes me really miserable and like it it actually I'll have a very different day than even like my husband he he'll have a great day and I'm like this sucks oh yeah like there's been I can think of many examples of times where I just go and like no matter what I do no matter what like silly things are happening no matter how many hand warmers I have in my fucking chalk bag I'm like I'm numbing out like bag. there's just bag, sorry bag. your midwesterner came out I know <laughs> it's like I'm cold and I got my hand warmers in my chalk bag <laughs> and I'm so fucking cold and I just want to go home <laughs> I can't climb like this <laughs> Canadian Lauren bitching. (laughs) Sorry, Canadians. (laughs) That wasn't very good. But uh, yeah, like there's just certain temperatures where I'm like, uh, hard pass. I can't do it. Like other people are like, this. Yeah, to Caitlin's point, some people are like, this is great. And I'm like, I am numbing out and I cannot stop numbing out no matter what I do. I'm like, my toes are numb and my hands are numb. And being being pumped while you can barely feel what your hands are holding on to is one of the worst. Like, 
yeah it's, it's not a very uncomfortable <laughs> sensation when you're like i'm really high off the ground and i feel nothing great yep i'm like i'm clipping right now but i can only visually verify that my hands are holding onto the rope can't yeah. feel it and i'm 10 foot run out so if i don't it's awful Bunch i don't big yikes but you know what we dug a little bit deeper because this you, is great perception's fine and dandy but we found another study that did talk about the the actual like physicality of mm-hmm. what's going on and unfortunately uh, this study they only published their data set so this actually went to i believe medical express magazine yeah it's kind of weird we so just caveat that it's like published in a magazine and not like I don't, is it peer reviewed? I can't tell, but I still thought it was interesting. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm going to go ahead and. I mean, if they were willing to put it in a magazine, I'm sure it wasn't total. That's never mind. A lot of things that are total trash are put in magazines. I digress. (laughs) Yes. But in any case, I wanted to highlight some of the things that they mentioned in here because this was a University of Utah study and they primarily wanted to compare the hands of men and women. And they did this using thermal imaging pretty fun pretty sweet so and you know what they found they actually found that we are valid in our thinking that it is unacceptable to be too cold because women's hands typically run 2.8 degrees fahrenheit colder than men's which is substantial it's kind of wild actually i think it's for me, when you think about this, I I would assume that the response to feeling cold is quicker for women. Mm-hmm. I also think that certainly you have differences in, you know, body sizes can can impact that too because, you know, you might get colder faster. Um, how much body fat you have is important too because that's what keeps us warm. Maybe hormones are at play here, but... I thought this was super interesting because when we talk about being colder and, you know, feeling like some temperatures are, you know, unacceptable and we we can't tolerate them. I'm doing a bunch of finger quotes over here yeah. from that first study. I mean, I would say no finger quotes. Certain temperatures for me yeah, <laughs> and climbing are. I'm just trying to not be so, like, salty about the first burning. <laughs> <laughs> But I feel like this is so validating because when we are thinking about sen temps, I think the immediate reaction of a lot of people is like, oh, well, they're just like we said, soft or they're bitching out. And I'm like, actually, no, like if this is not an optimal condition for me and I perform better at higher temperatures, couldn't I say the same for you alternatively when you're sliding off my my holds that are now greasy? Yeah. So... So there. So there. Soft is relative. Soft is very relative. But I do think these are some cool little little studies and looks into it. So we'll put those yeah. in the show notes. Yeah. Caitlin, do you want to talk a little bit about rain nose syndrome as well? Because one thing that is mentioned in the article that we thought was interesting is that certain studies will cite that women are five times more likely to suffer from Raynaud's syndrome versus mm-hmm. men. And then this article asserts that it could be upwards of nine times as likely. It seems like bottom yeah. line, women are definitely more likely to suffer from Raynaud's versus men. But can you explain what Raynaud's is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Raynaud's is actually <laughs> something uh, that helped Raynaud's become more talked about as it was called the Elsa uh, Elsa syndrome. Oh, cute. 
That's a really cute <laughs> name like, for my fingers turning purple. <laughs> pretty, pretty cute. Love it. Great. Um, but Raynaud's is just a disease that is largely, um, you know, linked to family history. Mm. So if someone in your family has it, it's it is something that you could potentially have. Um, but what happens is that your fingers and toes, uh, tend to lose sensation or they start to feel numb in the cold. Um, this is primarily in response to those cooler temperatures and it also might start to make your hands look white almost. Um, and it can severely restrict blood flow. So that's the huge issue that we think of here. You know, when you have someone who has normal circulation and does not have Raynaud's and you are at risk for frostbite because of your blood starting to keep your midsection warm, Mm -hmm. people with Raynaud's might actually have uh, smaller blood vessels that um, tend to constrict as they go to the extremities. So we all have these smaller blood vessels, but... In terms of how it's carried to your extremities, that's where we're particularly concerned for people with Raynaud's because this can lead to tissue damage. So, mm. what's the, so what's kind of the general difference between just normal, my toes turned white because it's cold, and I have Raynaud's? Like, is there a delineation for that? I would say if you are concerned about Raynaud's and you find that your fingers and your, you know, your extremities start to turn white or blue when you're exposed to cold and you have this like really intense stinging sensation when once you, you know, warm back up, I would talk to your doctor because they're going to be the ones who could distinguish it between you're just a normal person who's cold versus you have a thing correct yep huh interesting okay but i'm I'm just like (laughs) like running a horrifying like reel in my mind right now of all the times where i've like shown my friends like look my fingers are white this is awful everyone's like that's bad and i'm like it is bad yeah i think too like (laughs) you know we talk about family history but reno's can also be a result of you know other underlying conditions too Mm. so i think if you you know, maybe this is why we talk about like vascular conditions in terms of like hand warmth or, you know, whatever. There could be a lot of yeah things impacting this, but it has been talked about more and more. So, you know, we're not doctors. Go talk yeah. to your doctor if you are concerned. But ultimately, this is super interesting that women tend to have yeah. more so than men. Also, I feel like it's probably something, if I had to guess, that maybe goes underdiagnosed just because you yeah. could confuse something as severe as actually having Raynaud's as just I'm cold and right. my fingers turned white so that's pretty interesting huh yeah. so anyways um all of this to say this is Caitlin and I's manifesto of when we're complaining <laughs> about our cold ass hands it's not because we're soft it's because science because science said it's okay to be colder yeah because science is validating that i'm soft and i appreciate science for that thanks science thanks shout out science you love to see it so we'll link to both of those studies and articles in our show notes okay so i want to we want to bring this so we've talked a lot about science science am i right you're like i'm gonna bring up one more study i'm gonna turn this episode off but we wanted now we kind of wanted to bring it into some of the tips that we have for our at wait actually before we get into tips caitlin found 
an interesting article that's more about the externals of cold weather yes. climbing. So do you want to share some of the takeaways you learned from, yeah. from this one? Friction science. Friction science. Yeah. I thought this was super cool and important to include because we, you know, I'm just out here trying to get the bros to not splain me all the things, <coughs> whether they mansplain or femsplain, I've had it all done to me. So if you're listening... Wait, what's the worst one? S- someone's like explained to you how friction works? Shut up. Tell What did they say? So I've been... <laughs> so shoes have rubber, right? Got it. Yeah, Check. got it. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> I had someone give me a nice 20 minute lecture as I was staring at them. This happened at Waco tanks just for context. Oh my God. And you don't even know what cold is. Yeah. I'm like, this is not a desert. Just kidding. It does get cold. (laughs) In any case, go on. But you know, I was like, Oh man, my foot just like keeps slipping off. And I knew like I was trying to keep my shoes not in the cold shade. I was trying to bring them into the sun and make sure that, you know, like I wasn't going to feel like my toes were numbing out. And at the time I didn't quite think about friction and temperature. I just knew I was super cold and I couldn't really feel my feet. So I didn't know what was happening with my rubber anyway. Right. (laughs) And I had this individual decided to explain to me all of the ways that my rubber in the sun was going to be a problem for me on the cold rock. Oh my God. What did they say? They basically just said that it's my, well, here's the thing they said that was correct. They said that the rubber changes in the temperature. Okay. Sure. How it responds, which great made sense. But then they went on to tell me that, you know, if it was something about like, if I keep my shoes in the sun, then my toe rubber on the cold ass holds is gonna be worse. Okay. So, so now that you've learned a little bit, what what would you say to them now? Apart from please stop talking to me about rubber and friction. I don't want to do this. Yeah, right they now. also like. I mean, I like to take my shoe off and, like, see how things fit and feel on holds with shoes. I do that. But this person took their shoe and showed me, like, see, if I put it here, (coughs) it falls off. And I'm like, okay, well, this is – I don't need a lesson on how – my shoes work. Yeah. Very aware. I this get, I've figured out many, many years ago that when you step on something and then you move forward, that's called walking. So yeah. it's just like that, but up a wall. Up Got a wall. It. Thank Got you. it. Thank you. So <laughs> I did learn something very interesting though, because rubber does have a point at which it performs best. Huh. So this was actually from a climbing.com, um, magazine article it's probably paywalled it's not actually you can read this yet well (laughs) at the time this was uh researched it was not behind a paywall so hopefully it's not now but they mentioned that rubber friction is best at 32 to 41 degrees fahrenheit here's the one thing i'll note this is the temperature of the rock this is not the ambient temperature so interesting if that you makes sense yeah so you know maybe this in part has to do with also the temperature of your rubber but yeah. this doesn't mean that 
you perform best at 32 to 41 degrees Fahrenheit because I know there are going to be people out there who are like, see, those send temps and they perform better. It's like, no, no, no. temperature of the rock. Still Calm incorrect. Down. So if your temperature is too low, that means that you, your rubber will be hard and your feet on the rock will feel glassy. Hmm. On the other side of that, if the temperature is too high, it may, means that your rubber is more malleable. So it feels sticky, but not in a great way. So it's that sweet spot right in the middle that is super important. So I thought that was just a cool little That's tidbit. cool. And then also they did know, obviously, there's about a bajillion different rubber compounds. So I believe in looking at this article that this mm-hmm. was uh, an evaluation with the nature of the compounds that are typically used right. in climbing shoes. So obviously there might be different there's I we know brands have different rubbers yada yada, but this seems like a decent guidepost to be aware yeah. of. Please don't bring your meat thermometer to the crag and touch <laughs> it to the wall. Like please don't. Don't do or don't that. even bring the like, you know, the like <laughs> laser temperature pointer. Oh my god. Oh yeah. My god. That's oh my god. big Just yikes. Don't use this as a this episode is not meant to be like a fuel for your f- excuses podcast. <laughs> I think it's good to have awareness of cold weather inform your decisions about when you're going to climb and right. all of that. So one yeah. last thing though. Okay. <laughs> Let me ask you a question, Lauren. Yeah. When we were trying to climb in the garage, I say trying intentionally and it was freezing cold oh yeah what's something that kept happening to you like i kept slipping off of everything like huge jugs like we were dry firing off of legit jugs it was crazy very textured jugs yeah and this climbing mag article also presented another piece of information that i thought was important to note here too you are more likely to dry fire if your hands are cold but also dry they said you need that, a little sweat yes hydrated so there's a difference hydrated versus sweaty skin is important for that malleability so if you think about like say you've like ever looked at your fingers after a like maybe like a very crimpy textured hold and on really really cold super dry days you're more likely to see those indentations mm. in your finger but if you were to have really hydrated hands and it's not as, you know, dry per se, yeah. you're probably less likely to see those little pointy points because your skin is more malleable in that instance, has more elasticity and can bounce back. Huh. So, any Interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, being too cold is a problem. It can be, it can it can be, be challenging. An issue. And remember, cold and discomfort in the cold is also relative so if you have a partner romantic or not and (laughs) you are shaming them for having chilly hands yeah and finding the cold intolerable maybe you should think about science because and listening yeah and and listening and listening (laughs) cool okay well i think to close (laughs) this out so like we like i said we are going to do a full-on snack break next week in which we crowdsourced all your all's weird little tips and tricks for dealing with the cold and we had so many responses that were also good um i'm very excited to talk about them but caitlin and i wanted to give you some of the tips that we give to our athletes so caitlin is there anything what's your what's your top tip 
my I think top we each have tip. like a favorite one that yes. we want to share. So <laughs> yes, this one's my favorite because I find that it's so easy that people are like, oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bring hot water to the crag. Mm-hmm. Bring a thermos or something to keep your water warm mm-hmm. because once your core temperature drops, it's really hard to get it back up and to get warm. But also being dehydrated is not great. You know, I know we talked about needing fewer fluids if you're not sweating a ton. But if you are dehydrated, it makes your blood all thick and not juicy. So it can't get to your extremities as easily to keep Mm, you warm. Important. You want to stay warm at the core, but also, you know, just have... have I also think when you're cold drinking cold or even lukewarm water is bad not what you want to do and also water has a very high specific heat and if there's heat in your water and that heat gets transferred to your body that'll be awesome listen to the chemical engineer yeah i'm like ah the specific heat of water so high great for whatever so (laughs) that's fun um perfect um, okay, my top tip, and I'm gonna my one of my favorite tips that I didn't see this one come up in any of your responses, so I'm sharing it here. Um, this one's for sport climbers, but I also feel like you could probably transfer this to bouldering, especially if you're doing a relatively long climb or what have you. So this one I learned on a very cold Thanksgiving week in the Red River Gorge because I was trying to send, and I kept numbing out, and it was not not good (laughs) so here it is so if you're climbing especially something pumpy or something relatively long what you can do is climb part of the route so you know you can pull on climb for like three four five minutes come down especially if it's like easier climbing towards the bottom so climb part of the route come down rest anywhere from two to five minutes so that your fingers are still warm and then try to fire the whole thing Mm, I love that yeah it's really helpful because I find that like there's you know if you're like climbing there's eventually a point where you stop numbing out right like you keep going and then whatever but and eventually you're like okay my fingers have blood flow in them great but you can kind of simulate that and Mm -hmm. not do it on your red point burner when you're trying to do something by just climbing part of it coming down resting and then going again and I definitely haven't had to do this with bouldering yet but I'm sure I could apply similar knowledge to bouldering so that's one of my favorite tips if you're having a struggle right on yeah these are great well sick save the rest of our tips for next week's snack break yeah many many more tips to come that is for damn sure so hopefully you feel validated by our cold weather discussion or you feel educated educated about why some of your friends yes. seem quote soft <laughs> so there you have it so there there you have it we'll dig into tips in our next snack break um let's see anything what's going on in your just the normal things sign up for working with us <laughs> you need one-on-one coaching lauren and i both support our respective fields in yep. terms of who we work with. Yep. And we love working with people who listen to our episodes and listen to us talk because that's been a lot of you lately reaching yeah. out and saying you heard something funny on an episode and that you like our weirdness. So Yeah, or really- that many of you are reaching out saying that you're applying some of our tips and taking action and making things happen, which is sweet. Um, yeah. I guess in my 
neck of the woods. I have a, I have a few fun things happening. So many of you have been clamoring for training plan options in the sub $200 category. It's happening. It's coming. Bum, bum, bum. I'm not going to say more, but there's there's some fun things on the horizon that I think you're going to be excited about. Um, and if you want to learn more about working with either of us, we'll have details about that in the show notes. Also, a few of you have been asking, how can I support you? We have a Patreon. So if you feel like supporting our Patreon, that would be awesome. We do have things we have to pay for to keep this shindig going. Um, so we'll link to that in the show notes as well. And then as always, like, subscribe, leave a review, rate us tell on Apple Podcasts, your friends. tell your friends. And that is how to help support us in giving you more tips every single week to help you climb better and seem smarter among your friends. <laughs> Which one of you just mentioned that in the Instagram comment that I read yesterday that you feel that you can tell your friends stuff when they're saying dumb things and I love that for you and for the world so just just keep keep doing it we're gonna keep doing our thing um yeah and I think Caitlin we can go ahead and close it out so yep all right until next time keep keep it average Lauren here. We hope you feel ready to take on the cold. Now I'll close us out with some exciting announcements and our production credits. Feel like you're ready to take more control in your climbing journey? Interested in taking a more focused approach to your training? Whether you're looking for custom coaching or a self-guided training plan, Good Spray has you covered. You can learn more about Good Spray training options by heading to the link in our show notes. And if you're interested in one-on-one coaching with Caitlin, there's no time like the present to get started. If you want to learn more about working with Caitlin on your nutrition, tap the link in our show notes. And don't forget, you can support our Patreon. Head to the link in our show notes to learn more. The Average Climber podcast is hosted by me, Lauren, and my co-host, Caitlin. You can find us on Instagram at The Average Climber Podcast for antics between episodes and updates on when new episodes are coming out. You can also find me on Instagram at Coaching and Caitlin on her Instagram over at Dirtbag Nutritionist. This show is edited by Josh Hayfley with our favorite furry production assistant, Stubby the Corgi. The music for this episode was created and produced by Devin Dabney. The Average Climber podcast is a part of the Plug Tone Audio Collective. Head on over to PlugToneAudio.com to learn more about the other great shows on the network. <laughs>